everybody, and welcome to the Katie and Me podcast. This is episode 20. I am Chris Hutchinson, and as always, I am joined with my podcasting partner, Katie Rogers. Katie, how are you? I'm doing all right, Chris, all things considered. How yeah. are you? You know, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, we're, we're trying to get on a little bit of a better rotation with, with show content. I know we, we're both extremely busy, as is producer Pete, so we're getting them out. You know, 20 episodes, not bad. We're uh, kind of growing steadily as well with our audience, so that's always exciting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of making it through the winter doldrums. I'm looking forward to spring for sure. I bet you are. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> no idea. Yeah, I was I not designed for winter. No, I, every time I like look outside and see, you know, single digits and wind chill, I'm like, oh man, Katie is probably super bummed today. <laughs> <laughs> Mason and I, my son and I were getting firewood yesterday and I said, why do we live up here again, Mason? And he said, I don't know, mom. I don't remember. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, it sounds like things are going well with your non-podcasting career. So I'm, I'm happy for you on that. I think we actually both have been in our new positions about the same time, about a year yeah. or so. So pretty cool. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. So that's when we're actually recording this episode. Um, and if it gives you any indication of my priorities are, I put podcasting ahead of that game. So um, this is way more important to me today. So I'm glad to be with you, Katie. Before we kind of jump into some things, I just wanted to thank our show partner, Audible. If you're not familiar with Audible, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Audible helps people get more stories and information through the gift of found time. And we talk a lot about this, but in the last year, uh, my guess is that everyone has had a little bit of extra time with between quarantining and everything else that we've had going on. So use that newfound time to learn something new, share some cool content, get your family involved to relieve stress by enjoying thousands of available titles. And Katie and me podcast would love to help you enjoy some of those titles. So if you are interested in getting a free download, please visit audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. So we would uh, love for you to check them out and get a free downloaded book through Audible. We'll jump into kind of the first topic here, Katie. I think you're going to talk to us a little bit about something that I will readily readily admit that that I've experienced and sometimes continue to experience, and that's imposter syndrome. So if you want to kick things off with that, um, I'm excited to learn a little bit. Okay. Well, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because like so many people, I've experienced this. I've experienced this recently. Like every once in a while, I just have this moment where I look at everything that's that I am responsible for with my job and in this world, and I go, whoa. I don't know if I'm up for this. Do these people know that maybe I am not up for this? You know, Mm -hmm. am I qualified? And so um, I'm going to talk about what imposter syndrome is. And then I think a lot of our listeners will be able to relate. I know I will be able to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you've ever had um, feelings of inadequacy in your role, despite your past successes, that is, in a nutshell, what we call imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get the sense that the success that you've had has been luck mm-hmm. um, instead of earned, or that for you it's been luck more so than for other people. Mm-hmm. Part of the imposter syndrome is in relation in your mind to the people around you. So um, despite your qualifications, that you shouldn't be where you are, feelings that maybe you're an intellectual fraud. Mm. which I hate 
those words put together that right. really grates on me this idea of being an intellectual fraud. But when I go and I look at the people who are considered really, really successful who described having imposter syndrome, it includes Einstein and, and Maya Angelou. Mm. Like these are people who are very, right. very the accomplished, the but they're top, like, yeah, yeah, don't you guys make too much of my work. It's mm. not, you know, like, I don't know if I can pull this off again, this kind of thing, but believing you're in over your head, right? Other people, everyone around you basically is better qualified than you are for what they're doing, right? Like you're right. the one in the group that's over your head. You, like uh, you're the outlier. Oh, like yes, outlier, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could all come crashing down at any moment. Like if you don't juggle all this luck and all this kind of stuff, it could all come crashing down. So here's the thing though. Anyone who's never been concerned that they weren't up to the task is either not growing at all. Mm -hmm. in their life, in their career, or a horrible narcissist mm -hmm. with this enormous ego that you literally just think like, I'm better than everyone. I'm the most qualified for everything that I do. And that's really not a good person to be. Sure. So don't think less of yourself for these, for this feeling that we call imposter syndrome. That's mm -hmm. the first thing. Like, don't, don't think less of yourself. I get, I get moments where I look at everything I have to do. And despite the fact that I have past successes in all of these areas, my heart will start like pounding really, really hard. Like, yeah, what if like I can't do it now? Response, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I go, Oh, I don't like it. My big thing is to breathe really slow and really deep. So it doesn't turn into an anxiety attack. So uh, before we have been, but before we get off that, so I was going to ask you, do you have do you have like a mantra or do you have like a refocusing exercise that you try and do to prevent it from spiraling into a full-blown panic attack? And I'm asking obviously for a reason, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm curious I, what you do. I do. I do. So, so for me, the first thing, anytime I get signs of anxiety is very slow, deep, breaths where I count to six in and I count mm -hmm. to six on my exhale and I do a minimum of six or until I feel calmer. And depending on the situation and what I'm able to do, sometimes like the other day when this, when I felt this kind of coming on, I went and did a, a yoga routine because nice. I thought if I could do something physical to redirect my physicality, yeah. that I could, I could get off of this thought. But my point is, it's not good if you never feel this, like that's an out of control ego and, right. and someone who's not in a position to grow. There's no quick cure for it though. Like you ask what right. I do, I try and redirect my physicality to deal with it. I try and remember my past successes. I try and put other people in perspective because I work with these amazing, talented people. And sometimes you have to remind yourself that they put you in their group mm -hmm. and they're not idiots right. and you didn't lie to get here. Mm -hmm. And you already have these successes. So you I, you can kind of logic yourself out of it sometimes enough. You, can, you just have to keep going. That's so as far out of it as you have to get is to the point that you keep going. If that means you have to deep dive to make sure that you really do know as much as you need to know about something, great. Then it's driven you to reinforce your knowledge base, right? So that positive self-talk, which we've I think we've talked a little bit about in different capacities here, is mm -hmm. that that's one one, I guess, solution to try and get through it. And I'm not as good as positive self-talk as I, as I would like to be, which is, I guess, if you know me, it's not that surprising, but I do have two psychology degrees. And so you would think that I would better utilize some of our principles, but, would think. <laughs> but maybe my story will, maybe that's why, uh, <laughs> maybe I, I don't use them as well as I should, but I am getting a lot better at trying to prevent full-on 
like panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to just kind of let them run their course. And, and then with like, you know, ha- having seen a therapist for the last however many 13 plus years or so, um, maybe even longer than that, developing some, they're still a little bit too reactive instead of proactive, but they're much, they're much earlier in the reaction <laughs> reaction phase than what I had done probably, you know, 20 years ago where I would get myself into such a bad panic attack that I'd have to pull the car over to the side of the road and, and not be able to really function. So I'm really interested in this topic because I took it, you know, I took a new position within the last year. I think genuinely I'm pretty good at my job. Uh, and I know that sounds arrogant, but I think I do. I think I do some things really well. But Stop it saying it sounds arrogant. That does not sound yeah, arrogant. This is why you get <laughs> caught up in the imposter syndrome because you're constantly <laughs> like, self-deprecating. Like the, You've self-deprecated like perfect, yourself into less of a person. I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm like a perfect example for this topic, by the way. So <laughs> uh, like, there's people listening right now. They're like, God damn it, Hutch. You like got to stop doing like self-deprecation stuff. But you know, there, there isn't a day that goes by, especially at... I know what you're doing and I, you have massive responsibilities. What I'm doing is more of a kind of a corporate startup environment. The volume and level of work that we're trying to accomplish in such a short period of time, it just, it begins to wear on you. You're like, yeah, I've done this and I've done it well. Is this the time that I fail? Is this the time I'm not able to like, to be successful with it? Is this the time where I'm going to kind of be exposed? And so what I've done is, my kind of like mantra for as long as I can remember has been uh, a Bob Marley song with three little birds. And like, there's a line in there, like every little thing's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And I literally will sing that to myself in my head on repeat when I start getting, uh, when I can, when I can start feeling the spiral happening. Uh-huh. Um, and to the point where I'm probably going to get something like that tattooed somewhere on me um, <laughs> as like, as like a, as a, you know, visual reminder. So when I, kind of forget that I can look and see it. So that's like kind of work for me. But this topic is, is I think, very real to a lot of successful people. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. And I didn't mean to hijack your topic, but okay. what I, I'm curious if, if this has maybe even been like magnified more because of how readily available and how, tr- like how transparent we are with social media. And I mean, it's so much easier now to kind of have you know, a spotlight placed on you and, you know, your professional profile is up on LinkedIn. And I'm just curious, like if that has maybe fueled this at all or what your thoughts are on that. I think that we can use the hyper exposure of everyone around us actually to build empathy and to realize how ubiquitous this is, Mm. if Mm. that makes sense. Yeah, Because the reality is like the vast majority of people have times when they, when they experience what we, all these things we consider imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to look at the people around us and say, you know, even as we see them celebrating and succeeding and moving on, the reality is they've probably had these same experiences and that the range of humans, the, the, the range of capability is actually smaller than you think it is. So we have a tendency to be really hyperbolic about it and go, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, look at Bill Gates or whoever, right. whoever is your wildly successful example. And then look at me and we're just so far apart. And right. the reality is it's not as far as you think, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. there is luck in life Yeah, and you have to be put in positions that you're not 
entirely ready for because it's only through actually going through them that you can be a hundred as close as you can be to a hundred percent. So that's where growth happens. Mm-hmm. And yes, people are put in different situations that move them ahead, but you have to seize any situation you're in. And if you were put in that True. situation, you have to you have to go forward with some willingness to seize it and to not be crippled by the idea that maybe it's not time, maybe you're not ready, maybe you're not good enough. So realize that being out of your comfort zone means that this is where you grow, right? Yeah. If we all stayed in That's our comfort zone, we'd still be in coloring books, right? Every single step, and you know this, you have a kid in school, right? Like yeah. every single thing is hard before it's easy. Mm-hmm. This is how we move forward. You're not growing if you're not in situations that are new and require development and learning and all of this. So keep in mind, you're not in coloring books anymore and you got to where you are because you went through all the stages you've already gone through and you can look back and go, oh, okay, well, even if I'm not here yet, I, I do have a track record of developing, right? Yeah. So so this is where you keep developing. This is the human condition. Um, and it's n- it doesn't make you unqualified to have to ask for help. Right. To delegate or to say, I don't know about this aspect of it. I have to go learn about it. That's mm-hmm. not what makes you unqualified. That's what makes you qualified. Mm-hmm. People who understand how they learn and what they need to do to get a task done are very task orientated in that regard. Mm-hmm. That's what qualifies you for big things in life. Yeah. And I so, think the ability to make a mistake, own the mistake and learn from it is also huge. I mean, I, I've said that on this show before. I want to be in a position where I'm able to make mistakes and kind of be rewarded for that. Because to your point of you, you have to get out of your comfort zone, you have to try new things. But I'm very much of the philosophy that I don't want to continue to make the same mistake over and over again. And I don't want to manage my team members where they can continue to make the same mistake over and over again as well. But I will encourage them to try new things. I'll give you know, team members, the opportunity to try something from a different perspective. And then let's, you know, let's figure out what we'd learn from that. I think that environment and that culture can kind of hopefully reduce the feeling of like that imposter syndrome where it truly is okay to make a mistake and not, not be held up as like a negative example. And I've worked in both places. I've worked where mistakes were not celebrated and called out publicly in front of C-level executives over uh, in a, a mistake in an event that no one knew about until it was called out by my CEO. Mortifying, you know, horrible. Yeah, that's shaming. Yeah, that's it was that's a power play from horrible people. It was really in like junior in my career, um, and my uh, girlfriend, now wife at the time, was there with me. And um, yeah, I mean, I got it was it was crushing. <laughs> yeah, but I've been in. I've, so, but the positive of that. Well, I am really chatty today, Katie. Sorry. Should have, just, <laughs> That's okay. should have done Not a solo done. episode. Um, <laughs> just kidding. So, but the the power in that was like, okay, I don't ever want to manage like that. And I don't want people to feel like that's an okay environment. And then the feeling of empowerment that you get when it's okay to make mistakes and you have a true leader that is like, okay, well, what what did we learn? Like what's what's the takeaway from this as as opposed to, well this is bad. And, you know, how are we going to fix this? And you screw things up. That's the real difference. And I think the more that we can lean towards that, like open dialogue and that supporting of making mistakes, just as long as you don't continue to make the same mistake over and over again, hopefully that can kind of reduce or mitigate this feeling because I'm 48 and I still, there, you know, there are times that depending on my anxiety level and what I'm working on, and I've had a fairly successful career where I still feel I don't know. Is this the day that I screw this up? 
Right. That's you know, what we're talking about. Yeah. Here. That's the exact thing. Like, is this the day it comes crashing down and everybody realizes I'm not up for this? Yeah. And yeah. so I think that, you know, we have an opportunity to be conscious of it, talk about it and recognize it. But you know me well enough. I'm, I'm pretty OCD. I'm definitely <laughs> a perfectionist, you know, so I don't think it'll, I don't think I'll ever be a hundred percent free and clear of those feelings. I, I don't know. I, maybe, hopefully, but um, every time I'm obviously fairly outgoing, I've done a lot of presentations. I don't uh, get too nervous, but there are some times where if it's newer content that I you know, don't know backwards and forwards, I'm like, man, don't screw this one up. you know. And I'm like, yeah, I've done this a million times. Why? It's just weird to me like how that, and it can become really, really almost crippling. Yeah. So so the thing that triggered me this weekend was something that I didn't anticipate being a thing, but every once in a while I have those moments and it's like, okay, I am an expert in X, Y, and Z. That's why I'm here. That's what I'm doing. And somebody came in who's an expert in a different area of the food supply and started peppering me with questions, questions I knew the answer to, but in my head, it like put me off. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I started going like, what if they were expecting something else from like, I just had all of these doubts creep in mm-hmm. that really weren't based in anything I needed to worry about. You know, if they were going a different direction and wanted different answers, well, they asked the farmer. So they got the farmer's answers right. and I do make good decisions, you know, right. but it was yeah. just this weird moment where something was just off and it messed with me mentally. And I went, okay, I know what this is. I mean, after all these years, I don't even, I don't remember where I first got introduced to this idea and yeah. it might've been like, you know, someone memed Maya Angelou or something, mm-hmm. right? But, yeah. <laughs> but I went, oh, okay. So here's what I can say. We've talked about reframing in your head. We've talked about dealing with uh, um, the biology, the, mm-hmm. the physiological stuff, mm-hmm. right? So the other thing is get really quick at recognizing what's happening when you have doubts about yourself. Yeah. Because you can tell yourself it's growth over and over, but it really needs to become part of how you understand your own reactions to your work and to your intellect and to your capability. So it sounds silly, but go spend an hour or two like looking up. TED Talks or psych talks or something about imposter syndrome and get so familiar with it that the moment it starts to creep in, you ha- you've been exposed to enough ways to cope with it that you can really head it off. Like you yeah. said, head it off early and go on and grow and do your damnedest. And sometimes in life, you're going to crash. And if you need to do that to become empathetic to other people, to become a better boss, I really think that if I'd never had a bunch of negative experiences, I wouldn't be the boss that I am right, right. now. Right. Because I am good to my people. I can Mm -hmm. totally handle it when my people screw up and they Mm -hmm. aren't scared of me. Mm -hmm. It just makes us all experts in how not to do it and how we're going to do something else next time. And we just take that information and move on. I never go after people about their screw ups. Yeah. Um, That's good. Yeah. That's a, that's a sign of a, of a truly in touch leader. Right. And I, I, but I think that's because of these experiences, because I've questioned myself, I have screwed up. I have, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've gone through all of this, but I've, I've tried to become aware of it all. So I'm just saying your action item, for me today is to go spend a little bit of time deep diving in this at some point, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I am a huge fan of TED Talks. Yeah. <laughs> they're well, so easy minutes, to right? listen to. Minutes. Yeah. They're it's 10 perfect. or 15 minutes and they're Literally so easy to listen to. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but check them out and, and there's probably a dozen on this subject, but it's, it's a fairly safe platform to, to look into um, channel wise on YouTube. And so it's, I think uh, there's a psych to go or s- something like that. Okay. Anyway, 
Uh, but look into those, Chris, and keep heading yeah, it off earlier and earlier because you're doing amazing things and our listeners are doing great things in their lives. And I hate for people to self-sabotage. That's no, what you I, don't I, want to get to a, with this. That's a great point. And speaking of that, I would love for our listeners to share some of their thoughts and ideas on this topic with us. And yeah, they can they can do that through our social media channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Katie and Me Pod, Instagram, Katie and Me Podcast. And then our email is chris at katieandme.com or katie at katieandme.com. And Katie is K-A-T-Y and Chris is C-H-R-I-S. So we'd love to hear from you. If you have other show topics or ideas that you'd like to discuss or even just some feedback on this topic, we'd love to double back on it in a future episode. I feel like today we really... I mean, we always do a good job because we do actually put in a quite a bit of show prep for our, for our audience. Um, but I do feel like we linked topics very well today. So um, the reason why I think I was so engaged in this talk about imposter syndrome is I'm going to talk a little bit about my, my master's degree experience when I was in my early 20s. We definitely keep the show PG as best as we can. I am going to put a disclaimer on here that what I'm about to share it's not going to be blue or R-rated, but it is not a recommended path that I would suggest to young kids or even college kids as they like. This is about to tell their... us how he blew off something yeah. that he should have put more work into. So I'll just, yeah, we'll just put it out there. Um, so uh, I want to be, I want to be like really transparent. I'm, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you know where I went and, and earned my master's degree. And I'm not going to mention the institution because I don't want people to think that this is this is how to go about it. I will. I will say that I'm very fortunate. I earned an assistantship, uh, a full assist, full teaching assistantship uh, for my master's degree, and so I taught classes while I was going through a two-year pr- program in um, sport behavior and performance. It's called a bunch of different things. Essentially, it's sports psychology, and I went the thesis route, so it was a two-year program. Um, with the end goal being that for me was I was going to go on and use my master's thesis to get into a doctoral program become a sports psychologist, and hopefully work for some professional sports organizations. That was my goal going into my master's degree. And I was a pretty decent student in undergrad. Um, When I got lazy, I wasn't as good, but I did pretty well, but I had to work really hard. Like, so nothing really came easy for me. I had to put in effort along the way. And same, same in my master's degree program. It's a two-year program. I was, you know, primarily focused on the psychological side, but with any sports psych program, you're going to have physiological classes as well, phys classes, which were not my bag. The uh, We got into the harder science stuff. It was not what I enjoyed very much. So what happened is I, I was dealing with imposter syndrome a lot during my master's degree. I was a really good teacher. I have no bones about saying that. I got excellent reviews from, I love the teaching side of things and I was good at it. In fact, you know, I I was teaching primarily entry-level phys ed classes as part of this degree. Uh, At this institution, the the degree lives in in the physical education area, which is a constant fight. But so I I taught a number of phys ed classes, but I was also then uh, asked to step in and teach uh, undergraduate lab classes for a number of, of professors in my program and, and gladly did that and loved it. What I, what I learned is that I was with a lot of smart people, all who were also working incredibly hard, all had similar goals. We were all trying to you know, get into doctoral programs, uh, one in particular that is kind of like the, the Harvard of, of PhD programs. Uh, in fact, my, my roommate, she and I were literally trying to compete for a similar position 
she got it. I didn't. So, uh, <laughs> spoiler. So, um, but she worked incredibly hard, much harder than I did. So what I realized is that I could, I could do well in classes and I, and I busted my tail in classes and I enjoyed my thesis topic. It was zone of optimal functioning. I think I talked a little bit about this. Yeah, you've talked about episodes. that. Yeah. So That's Russian great. sports psychologist, Yuri Hannon, kind of broke the model that everything between you know anxiety and physical arousal and performance is a bell curve. He said, that's not the case. It differs by person and it can differ by sport. Mm-hmm. And I was really into it, had no problem doing my research and, and all of that. I, I got into it. But what I realized in writing a master's thesis, which is probably about 75% ish of a, of a, a doctoral it's a beast. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big process that I didn't enjoy the massive amounts of reading and research that one had to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is about the halfway point of my master's degree that I was like, crap, this is like, <laughs> this isn't good that I don't like this. Like I don't wake up every day, like excited to read and like take notes and highlight everything. And I started getting this, like this imposter feeling like, Oh man, I shouldn't now, be here. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. so now I'm like, well, crap. Um, I don't really have a plan B yet. I'm certainly not going to like not complete this process because I wanted the degree, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that wasn't ever a question, but the hunger I had to find and, you know, go above and beyond to get into a doctoral program, I could feel that it was starting to, to waver a little bit. So right. ultimately what happened is that my, my roommate, we were going into our, our final summer and my roommate got early admission into to the Harvard program. It wasn't Harvard, but like the Harvard of sports like program. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And so she uh, paid her share of the rent. You know, we left on great terms and she was off to go work for, you know, the, the top in the field. And now I, <laughs> now I was alone in this apartment by myself with nobody else like kind of there. And, and she was like, she's a full professor now and is like doing great things in the field, but she would study like all the time. And I was like, maybe. So there was some social pressure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd be like, yeah. oh shit, she's studying. I guess, you know, so um, that, that was gone. And I had, I had an entire summer to prepare for my exit oral exams and pull my, pull my research together. The other part is that my, uh, my senior advisor, she took a sabbatical that summer as well and went to Egypt. So I had collected all my data, but I needed a senior advisor to help with like the input and the calculation of it. Now I could still present my master's thesis and still go the thesis route without having the full, you know, data run. So I was like, okay. So it was like another, yet another opportunity for me to kind of have an excuse ish. I mean, I really hate saying this because I, I did I, I did learn a lot, but I did not cross the finish line strong, uh, or at least it's it sounds like that as I'm as I'm sharing this. <laughs> it so, sounds like you probably procrastinated. I did. I procrastinated big time. And this I is what we don't want the kids to hear. Don't right. go into your master's program thinking that you can do what Chris yes. pulled off. <laughs> this and this is so I was kind of like saying, hey, this is my Super Bowl moment because it ended up great, but. I, the, the amount of stress that I put on myself is I'm going to try and capture it here for you, but I do not recommend doing this. I, and, and I, I actually, I can't believe I pulled it off because I not only just procrastinated a little bit, 
I procrastinated. So I do want to be clear. All my thesis research was done. I had that nailed because there was a presentation there. I'm like, I will crush this. I know this. I've spent two years doing this. I couldn't wait to talk about that. That was half of half of the four to six hour exam. The other half is you're, you're getting grilled by your board on every, every class and everything that's been in the program for two years. So you're taking a full load and teaching. So you're taking 15 to 18 credit hours a semester, just like you would at undergrad. So, you know, three to four classes a semester and through summers. So essentially you're looking at about probably 20 plus classes that you have to be able to speak competently about as part of your exit oral exam. My exit oral exam was on a Monday afternoon in the summer. This was the last thing I had to do in order to graduate from my program. If I don't pass that, then I don't, I don't graduate. Remember, I had all summer. Uh huh. I pulled all my class notes together and like pulled all my folders out and everything and all my textbooks out on Thursday morning. Oh my before, God, Chris. Before my exit oral exam at, at 2 p.m. on Monday. And I am sitting in my now empty living room because my roommate took all the furniture and I had like a beanbag chair and a TV and I have all my notes spread out and I have my first cup of coffee and it's like nine in the morning. And I have the largest panic attack that I've had in my entire life. And it lasts a good 30 minutes of me weeping. <laughs> sitting on I'm sorry floor. to laugh. I'm so oh, sorry no, to laugh. No, it's hilarious. <laughs> Surrounded by just like 25 classes of like notes and notebooks and textbooks. I get that out of my system. And now it's like, okay, man, you put yourself in this position. How are you going to get out of it? And I proceeded to have the most laser focus that I've ever had probably in any other part of my career. I was in flow. We talked about flow before I got into flow because it was like a necessity. It's amazing what you can accomplish. I was, I was scared. I I was like, (laughs) I was beyond scared. Skipping food. Oh, I was like, I was, I, I literally, I don't even think I showered. I think I just sat there for like four days. And what I was able to do is I got every class down to a single like note card where I could just like, I'd have a name or a concept and I would like know what that was and be able to like talk about, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then I just, I got that done probably by like Saturday-ish. And so then I just drilled myself like Saturday and Sunday, 48 hours straight of just going through, just going through the note card, just going through the note cards. And I had asked my lead advisor earlier in the summer, which, you know, I should have followed my own effort, but listen, I know I need to know everything, but is there anything that like I can make maybe cut a corner on? And she's like, well, nobody on your committee is on the physiological side. So I'm not telling you not to study that, but if you have to allocate time, again, this is in like May, Mm -hmm. (laughs) my exams in August. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so I, I cut out all the fizz. I didn't study it at all. And we're going through this, we're going through the I'm in the, in the exam and we end up spending uh, about three hours just discussing my research, having like a very collegial conversation. I'm like, these are like my colleagues and they were really interested in the research. And I'm like, shit, maybe we won't even like talk about the classes. Maybe, you know, cause like four, you're usually like four hours or so. And they're like, well, we should probably, you know, we should probably get into your, uh, your coursework. I'm like, and it's, and, it, and we're going along and I'm, you know, I'm a kind of a visual learner and in oral exams, I can't really BS my way through like, cause I can usually write. 
I'm a pretty good writer. And so if it's like an essay, I can, you know, pull in enough concepts where it makes it. But when Dude, you're a talker too. <laughs> yeah. But, but like when it's, when I'm cold on something, um, yeah. I have to, well, yeah, I'm obviously a talker. I've been talking nonstop this whole episode, <laughs> but so I it's like, I'm doing okay, but it takes me a little while to maybe recall some stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, we're progressing and things are going well. And then this is, this is the funniest part. So my, my favorite instructor who I taught a bunch of her, um, labs for her. Um, she said, well, you know, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask you a physiological question because I'm going to have to teach that class next year. And I'm like, golly, no, no, we were so close. And so she asked me like the major principles of something. And, and I'm like, uh, you know what, Dr. Horn, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't recall that. She's like, Oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. All right. Well, I think we have everything that we need here. Why don't you go in the hall? We'll talk. And so I'm in the hallway now having like this panic attack. I'm like, Oh my God, the final question, is this going to be it? And I was like right. full on imposter syndrome at that point. I'm like, you failed. You couldn't answer the last right. question. Blah, blah. Five minutes later, they're like, come back in. And I crap you not Katie. They said it was one of the best exit oral exams that they had like, been a part of. <laughs> and I have never told this story publicly uh. until now. So, uh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I don't Sorry. recommend it. it. It worked out. You know, I ended up not going to get my PhD and I, I, I chose a different career path. The amount of stress you caused yourself because you I took, procrastinated. I took, year, I took years off my life. And, I, and oh my I, I'm not saying that lightly. <laughs> I, I try and explain to people, uh, well, I, I've told some family members this. I, like I said, I, it's the, inst- the place where I went to school was amazing. It was one of the best master's degree programs in the country. And I'm fortunate to have gone there, got an assistantship. I'm really proud of my accomplishment there. I'm actually really you're proud that I completed. You're still so knowledgeable. Like 20 plus years later, you're still so knowledgeable about this stuff that if you, if you guys ask Chris about this stuff, like he'll still spit out all this stuff. I'm not that way about my degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I use it a lot in coaching too. So that like, it kind of helped me, but I, I haven't done a deep redive on it. I know we're really on time here, but uh, I don't recommend doing that. And it proved to me that, okay, if, if I had been passionate about it or, you know, was willing, well, I was passionate about it, but if I was wanting to go and progress to that next step, uh, I don't think I would have waited till 96 hours before I had to do the exam to crack open. I mean, you know, had I looked at a book over the summer? Yeah. I wasn't just sitting at home, you know, doing absolutely nothing, but the, I wasn't anywhere near where I needed to be. But and you threw a Hail Mary and I you did. scored. And the, the did I say that right? You did. did I you score did. that yeah, directly? You did. You scored awesome. it right up. Yay, sport the ball. So, right. <laughs> so that was like kind of my, my Super Bowl moment. Um, but nice. it, it could have been, could have been so much better if I'd actually, <laughs> you know, maybe not waited till four or five days before the exam. So <laughs> should we talk about procrastination? Yeah, we should probably talk about that next. I feel right? like there should be an episode that's like the pros, the cons, the how to do better, the why it's not evil. Everyone does it in some. I did, I've learned, I've learned quite a bit like from yeah. that and we, we should, we should do another episode on it. Yeah. Uh, obviously all geared up now. That yeah. I do what I call controlled procrastination. Cause I did similar things in college, but I only have a bachelor's degree. So nothing was ever no, that so much on the line, well, but but no, I do a controlled procrastination. I'm trying to explain to my kids, like you're going to procrastinate sometimes, but if the procrastination is going to make life worse, you have to just pull the trigger and do it now. Yeah. And that's like an impossible thing to teach. You're going to have to like suffer your way into that in life. I think. Yeah. I think the yeah. first time anybody like fails an exam because they know they didn't study enough that that's like the, the first time that's enough. adorable. Sorry. <laughs> the first time Katie slept through an ANSI lab and failed the class and then took it again and did it the second time. Yeah. 
Yeah. I took also, anti, like I already knew all the anti stuff, but I failed it twice because I slept through labs and exams. I, uh, well, let's, let's, let's seriously look at procrastination. Cause I, I failed okay. my first ever college exam and it was in an honors class. That was also some <laughs> imposter syndrome fear as well. Uh, so I think we put a good bow on this. We went way over. Yeah. I didn't shut up, but yeah, this was awesome, Katie. I, I appreciate you picking this topic and letting me unburden. I guess now it's like, so I graduated there in 97. So yeah, like 20 some years of me not having That's ever right. really shared that story publicly. So I'm younger than you. That's right. <laughs> I graduated high school in 97. <laughs> Uh, but no, thanks to everybody. Um, again, if you have uh, show ideas or want to reach us, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram or shoot us an email. And uh, yeah. Katie, thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. You too, Chris. And you, Pete. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>